All the different uh, spots of Santa Clara County, at least the the major cities. There's there's a few of those minor cities that no one really cares about. And <laughs> it do- doesn't really matter in the big run. They have fairly small populations. But we'll be talking about Palo Alto, Mountain View, Sunnyvale, Santa Clara, San Jose, Cupertino, the state, uh, this, uh, the county itself of Santa Clara, as well as statewide propositions. Uh, so that's a lot to chew off. But uh, uh, in general, this is uh, this is the first time that uh, South Bay Yimby has you know been around for an election cycle like this. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Uh, <laughs> I, I, a few of us have been informally calling ourselves South Bay Yimby for a while. It was about five months ago that we started getting a little more organized and started having regular meetings. We officially have over fifty members now, so there's really been a, a groundswell of interest. We've been working all over Santa Clara County. Uh, we've established relationships with a lot of city council candidates, and we've had some really successful happy hours, outreach events, and yeah, this is the first year we've done endorsements. So, uh, who who cover? Is there anyone covering like up uh, up the you know, San Mateo County stuff, or how's that work? Um, there is a separate group of Yimbies in San Mateo County. We're not directly affiliated with them, but they're friends of ours. Cool. And I'm what's in- the name of that group again? Um, so there's a group called the Housing Leadership Council. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. Right. Of of San Mateo County, yeah. Or? Okay, I lose track of because it's not in. The, I lose track of uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. all and, the different groups. And in general, I like to like state the nuance of you know in you know there's it's not so simple as just build 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 more housing. But in Santa Clara County, to a first approximation, if there's any place where it is true, it's Santa Clara County because this is just you know it's incredible how the suburban flavor of this place is so pronounced and if you go to like the national scene you'll see how San Francisco can dominate but you know it's i i, I tend to really think Santa Clara County is perhaps the most important part of deciding how suburbs stop being kind of the traditional no-growth suburbs so it's an exciting place right now oh yeah absolutely <laughs> it's great to be living in uh, a whole chapter in an urban planning textbook 20 years from now. <laughs> so, I think there's a, there's cities that are, you know, more favorable and less favorable and have, have really changed in the last couple of years. And I think we can focus on perhaps what's the envy of everyone else in the area, which is uh, Mountain View to start. Uh uh, yeah, M- Mountain View is going to be extremely important this year, and we're really going all out for three really important candidates. Those are Lucas Ramirez, uh, Pat Showalter, and Lu- uh, Lenny Siegel. Lenny Siegel is the current mayor. Uh, Pat Showalter is an incumbent. Lucas Ramirez is is new to the council. Uh, but uh, yeah, so could you talk a bit about uh, you know what uh, I guess the the people who are there right now, what they've been working on, or just kind of what has been the landscape of what Mountain View has done to really adapt to uh, the need for more housing recently. So Mountain View is one of the few cities that's actually taken its local control and done something really good with it, mm. uh, and and that's North Bayshore. They they recently passed their North Bayshore plan. This is up really near Google. They've approved nine thousand eight hundred and fifty units up there, which are desperately needed. Woo! Yeah, yeah. I think it was not long ago that was kind of just as like it was the fight between. Mountain View being the tech hub and where all the jobs are, and Mountain View won't even approve the housing, and that, in a matter of years, really changed. Oh yeah, it was like that for years. Yeah, Google's been well. Every company really has been has been fighting with Mountain View for construction. There's there's all these sagas around Google trying to get things done, and they've just started buying up more land, expanding to all these different cities. But the uh, the tone of the housing crisis has changed for. For all over the Bay Area, and I think that the city council is 
There may be a lot of reasons that they've they've kind of changed their tune, but I'm glad that Google and Mountain View can work together. The the tone has changed a lot. This is something I've been seeing all over. That even some of the historically NIMBY candidates are now giving lip service to our positions, and that's a really exciting time. It, it sometimes makes it hard to tell which candidates are the good ones. But uh, <laughs> I mean, that's politics as it should be working. I mean, yeah. we don't pay politicians to be honest. We pay politicians to triangulate and represent what people are asking of them. And I think that in a place like Mountain View, especially because it has so many renters, mm-hmm. it's, you know, when renters have spoken up and say, we want more units, <laughs> it's eventually politicians have to realize that if they, if they speak up, listen. It, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. We're, we're witnessing the Overton window shift, and, and that's a, a great thing. And we're really happy to have these three great candidates in Mountain View uh, that we, we've got to get elected because uh, yeah. we, we, we want those 9850 units to actually get built. It's, it's still just a plan on paper right now. Now we've got to turn it into actual units that people can live in. So is there there's still the entire approval process? Is this just this is allowing just this to fit in their zoning plan, or how did that work uh, out? Y- yeah, it's, it's just a plan at this point. I think we've started to see projects trickle into the pipeline, but it's still very early. Yeah, so, uh, and and I think it does to a big extent. I fall into the trap of being just extremely pessimistic of anything can happen with the local control and the small governments we have here. It says like, Mm -hmm. oh, let's just, you know, sit back, rest, let's wait for Sacramento to clean up the mess. But I think Mountain View is, it is a, a, a balm for that, of a place that is through local elections actually changing and adapting. This, that, that's, that's the city I hold up as an, as an example of, of why the local stuff really matters. Yeah, so as far as, like, I think you, the candidates that you are, uh, you know, that, that uh, South Bay Yimby is, is not endorsing, I think one is just one of the more bizarre cases, uh, this the Inks. You know, I, I just reading these articles, and he's just called out and out libertarian candidate inks. Uh, mm. It was just—he seems to be just making everyone angry. Uh, do any more details about this dude? Um, yeah. So several of us, of us actually sat down and talked to him directly. Yeah. He, he is kind of a strange guy because he's—he's a libertarian, and yet he—he he doesn't even take libertarianism to its logical conclusion, and he comes off just as a generic conservative. I mean, that's that's the funny thing about, you know, uh, there's a lot of different flavors of how there's a, you know, kind of libertarianism and yimbyism butt heads. But a lot of times it's like, well, shouldn't you be allowed to build more? Shouldn't you have the liberty to build more? But libertarians, the first thing they're willing to say, it's like, oh, no, but city government should make it illegal to build housing. I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly not a libertarian, but you could take, take that to its logical con- conclusion and say there shouldn't be any zoning. Every property owner should be able to do whatever they want on their own land. But, yeah. Well, you'd think, but the NIMBY ideology is stronger than that for a lot of people. And yeah. so, get the government out of my business, but then they'll use the government to stop someone from doing things with their own land. It's it's really great. Yes. In- Inks is exactly like that. Don't, you know, keep keep your government hands off my single-family zoning. <laughs> I, I, I read uh, some of the Marin County libertarian blogs. Oh, my uh, God. And, like, they, there's this one guy who goes on and on about the fact that zoning decisions are actually the market, <laughs> which is one of the weirdest <laughs> things in the yeah. world. Uh, it's, it's, it's this thing, like, no one is really a principled anything. Everyone is <laughs> a lot of Oh, way. of course not. And the... And it, it's it's weird that this that the NIMBY ideology can overrule all these things that are that are so in the forefront and strong. I, I would think to people's politics, mm-hmm. like libertarian, like lower taxes, no government intervention. But the NIMBY ideology can can override that when it comes to you know two feet of someone's lawn. Yeah, don't, it's crazy. Don't tread on me, and don't yeah. tread on me involves if you build an apartment building anywhere near me, that's somehow treading on me. It's, it's yeah, it's weird. Well, Rand Paul <laughs> got into a fist fight over a property line dispute, so yeah, that is a. Uh, so yeah, so to uh, it's uh, Lucas Ramirez. He uh, he was on the campaign of Adrian Fine in the past in Palo Alto. Is that something I heard? Um, I'm not sure of all the history there, but Luca, yeah. Lucas is a really smart guy. He's he's full of ideas. He's he's the person Lindy Siegel points to and says, "This is the only guy who has ideas before I do." Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean Mountain View. It's it's yeah tough to tough to find anything better than that. There's one more thing that you have put an endorsement for, which is a Measure P, which is something that actually you and I have talked about the head tax in uh, in Mountain oh, View. Oh yes. Which uh, it sounds like it's. Uh, 
it's something, well, fund transportation by putting a per-employee tax. It's something that seems like a lot of cities will be doing as a form of value capture. For companies over X hundred people. Something, something like, like that, that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, one thing that I pointed out, which is, I think, really funny, is the amount of head tax it actually collects. Yeah, the amount of cash, the amount of revenue. It's, it's, it's smaller than uh, what they get from rent from a few properties that Google currently rents out from Mountain View. So it's it's actually kind of a ridiculously small tax. I think it works out to like uh, I, for, for the largest companies it's something like 149 bucks per employee per year. Sure. So it's it's totally an immaterial amount of money to Google. So the amount of the overhead for the LaCroix I drink. Yeah, the, so this the, this is not going to drive any tech companies out, out of the city. And and the other thing is Google is already voluntarily paying a lot of this money in some form other than a tax. So it, what this will do will just be to con- convert some of that revenue stream to a tax, which means the city will be able to uh, sell bonds against it. Yeah. And to let politicians say, look, we taxed the we taxed Google. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to switch from Mountain View to, you know, it's kind of the opposite. And then you could look a lot of ways, looking at how many renters it has, how active it is, or just what the, what the local culture is. Palo Alto, uh, you've made uh, one endorsement here, which is for Corey Wolbach. Yeah, we love Corey. <laughs> we love Corey. No calls to action, but he's great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, Corey Wolbach. He won. He's, he's been serving for a couple of years. He won last time against Lydia Koo. Mm. So you can see that's that's the two uh, sides of the spectrum here in in Palo Alto in a lot of ways, and uh, it's so. It, it's it's hard to you know imagine what it'd be like with one more coup type and one less Corey Wolbach type. Yeah. And what Palo Alto? Well, is, the council's shrinking as well, which is going to do weird things. That is a weird thing. They're going down from nine seats to seven seats. Yeah, because it has the nine seats is an overly huge council. There's no reason it should be that huge. So in I think 2014 or something, they voted to make it smaller. This is the time it it gains effect. So we might lose Corey and someone good and you know. <laughs> We might lose two. We might lose two NIMBYs and and get Corey, or we might, you know, not. So that's that's uh, that's kind of the anxiety there. I'm I'm personally worried that here at KZSU we air six hours of Paul City Council every Monday. If there's two less speakers, is this not going to run past midnight every week? This is, <laughs> this, is this is scary. Well, uh, but uh, yeah, Paulo Alto lets you know that it's when you read. All the different uh, kind of op eds and talk about it. It is, uh, you would think that, you know, it's chaos. It's everything is changing incredibly fast in Palo Alto because the local op eds are complaining about, you know, the growth contingent. Oh, like if you read the weekly? (laughs) Yes. Oh, no. They're overwhelming the residentialists are being. But I mean, I would say that even the strongest people, you know, as far as growth, they are, you know, in my mind, (laughs) residentialists in my, you know, in my view. It's a a very, uh, the difference is, do people believe if you're a homeowner in, in Palo Alto that your children should have some possibility of being a place to live or does this not concern you at all? There are a few people who explicitly say no. They should just go someplace else, and that's yeah. really horrifying. It's yeah. it's I I the people who go to an extent uh, who actually go out and just say it. I res- I respect their willingness to go in the mile. Uh, uh, Stephen <laughs> Scharf in in Cupertino, mm-hmm. he says like, oh yeah, my daughter, you know, she moved out to Oakland because she, you know, it's like there's no room for her here. Yeah, uh, oh, I wouldn't be able to afford my house now. Michael, but I don't care. <laughs> Michael Goldman in, in Sunnyvale you know, <laughs> criticized his own children on record for saying that they didn't make enough money to, to cool. be able to live there anymore. <laughs> it's like it's just a choice. You know, you make enough money and live it the right way, or, you know, if you don't, it's just not one of the right people for the area. Uh, but Palo Alto, I'm more skeptical in the Mountain View that there'll ever be enough of a wave to really do positive change. But yeah, it's... exactly. There's not a big project like like North Bay Shore on the table. Like the stakes are. <laughs> yeah, there's there's not something big like this that's you know that's at stake. It's exciting. You know, there's big impact that's going to happen if we just get the right people. It's like, yeah, we we're going to get a couple dozen more units per year, maybe one or two bigger, better projects with a more pro growth council. But the yeah, the stakes are so so low. We we are fighting for scraps there right now. I I think maybe if Stanford did something huge, that would be the only way that we would, would ever get a. a Big change in Palo Alto. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm. They've been making decisions at the Santa Clara supervisor level about 
Stanford's ability to to allow more growth on campus. I like to have more of a spotlight. That's not that's not one of the things we're talking about here today. But it's it is a way of what a weird relationship because they say, okay, we want Stanford to. They should be building the housing, not Palo Alto. I mean, they got all the land, they should be doing it. But if they do anything, they tend to view it as, oh, they're hurting traffic. You know, we got to stop Stanford from growing. So, oh, of course. I mean, they, they, they want it both ways, and it's, it's really not a lot well, of Well, yeah, they want Silicon Valley industry to, you know, keep existing and paying taxes, but, you know, God forbid they expand or add more cars or et cetera, et cetera. They, I mean, this is, this is, this is a NIMBY ideology. They want all of the good, none of the bad. They yeah. want it exactly their way. And, and if you look at kind of just the you know the home voter hypothesis, I mean Palo Alto yeah. is much more of an ingrained Prop 13 protected homeowner, self interested class, local who control doesn't obsessed. have a whole lot of self interest in building more affordable housing, because or even like letting a local like this Castilleja thing, letting a local school expand by like a trivial number of students and building something small. If you give a mouse a cookie, you know they'll just ask for more and more, and they just want to keep nothing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like they'll use. This apocalyptic language about yeah uh, yeah 100 extra students at a school you know someone's get you know, one covered parking garage or not like an extra floor and I, they're they're like they're just the the nimby's nimby lives here there is a perception all over the county among the you know the average homeowner that we are living in a period of hyper growth yes and the, <laughs> the numbers just don't bear that out but but i think there there is a bias there people see a few apartment buildings going up on el camino and they they just feel like things are popping up everywhere and things are changing really fast. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, compared to the period of absolute stagnation that we've gone through, well, like in, well, in real periods of growth, like in the uh, every decade until the 80s, like the amount of construction would is would shock people who are, you know, who think that this is a lot of growth and it was everywhere. Well, you're, you're first getting out of a huge deficit of, of decades and decades yeah. of, of, of not meeting what is kind of a standard amount of, of what you'd expect growth to happen. Yeah. So it's, it's, and then on top of it, if you say, like, is the amount of apartments, you know, gigantic or not nearly enough? There's a few things like, are you able to assess it? Because if you drive down the main corridors, you're seeing more apartment buildings. You don't tend to weave through all the cul-de-sacs. You don't tend to yeah. see all the places that aren't changing. And on top of it is, you don't see total number of supply, but the one place in which we are not really adapting and we're seeing the most problems is the fact that how do we deal with traffic congestion? We just let our roads fill up, and you know, yeah. we it's look at how slow the Caltrain electrification yeah. progress. It's it's very hard to see a change because we don't really. Uh, oh yeah, and Prop Six on the ballot too, and we're ready. We're ready to. Holy God! Yeah, yeah right. Let's get to that later in the show, but oh, yeah, that's, yeah, I mean. <laughs> uh, so I mean, Oof. I'm always optimistic, and I gotta tip my hat to the people who feel that within the system of Palo Alto, the Adrian Fines and Corey Wolbox, mm. that positive change can happen. Uh, and Mayor Ness. Yes, I mean, I, I think that there is. I I respect people who have, who show pragmatism and yeah. are willing to, uh, yeah. And are, are, I, I mean, think, Mayor Ness would never. I I don't think she would call herself pro growth, but she's she's uh, <laughs> the Paul Weekly calls her pro growth. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I mean, she wouldn't in the way that uh, that that Corey and Adrian might, but she's consistently been on. I think she wants definitely the right things for the town. She votes. She votes well. Consistently, so are seats disappearing this cycle, or is this coming in the future? I think it's a, it's. I think it's this cycle. Yeah. Wow, that's a huge change to the broadcast schedule here. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see how that works. Uh, moving on, Sunnyvale, California, my my home turf. Uh, yeah. So the, there is now uh, three seats, and each person in this place is going after an individual uh, seat. So there are three different races, and you made endorsements on two of the three seats. That's right. So, Gustav Larsen is a really effective council member. Uh, he is also a great explainer. One of my favorite things about him, I've, I, I've seen him give a presentation at the Sunnyvale Democratic Club where he really dispelled a lot of the myths about housing. He, he came and showed us the actual growth numbers over a period of decades and really made the point that the last time Sunnyvale had anything that could plausibly be called hypergrowth was back in the... 50s or 60s. Yeah. yeah, when you were bulldozing farmland and building homes. For <laughs> exactly. The first time. Exactly. Um, he, he, you know, he he dispelled some myths about water and and 
the the idea that we won't have enough drinking water if people actually live here and you know showed the fact that when when people live in cities they actually consume a lot less water than if they're living out in the country somewhere and you know if if people don't move in they're not just ceasing to exist yeah apartment buildings don't have lawns mm-hmm yeah, I mean it's 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 you look at you know the amount of the uh, like in the different cities, the Colorado River, uh, Las Vegas gets like a one percent uh, cut of it, and they use the water. They use it very smartly. They reuse it when necessary, and there are a lot more ways in a city to really use your water effectively. If you're using it to farm, you know almonds or alfalfa and all sorts of things. Corn. <laughs> exactly. Mm. It's yeah. I mean, there, it's it's uh, cities have a lot of. Lo- I mean, cities are at the limit right now that. If people wanted to pay for desalination, it's not insane to think about for consumer use in cities that you could actually pay that way, which is maybe we don't have to depend on the old ways because technology is increasing, whereas you're never going to desalinate your way to to farming almonds. Right. Yeah. Mm. Uh, But yeah, I think... uh, Sunnyvale is one of the more pragmatic cities compared to a lot of its neighbors, and I think Gustav Larsen really represents a lot of the pragmatism of yeah being yeah. willing to look at what are win-win propositions, what are things that we can adapt. He looked at look at our strip malls. You could put apartments above all of these strip malls and not really change a lot of what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Strictly make it better. It would make it more walkable. It would bring more customers to local stores, et cetera, et cetera. I mean. I mean, we know the arguments, but was he really? Do you think he, like, he sat in front of a room of people who are on the fence or outright NIMBYs and and really changed their minds? Um, th- there were certainly some NIMBYs in that room. I, I I would describe it as maybe not an outright hostile audience, mm. but not necessarily a friendly audience either. No and, booing. And he he did a great job of it, it ex- explaining, and I, I I think he swayed some people. Most people. Uh-huh. Awesome. Well, we're used to seeing people who go to city councils and scream their heads off. Most people have never stepped foot in there. Most people are like, you know, I'm looking around. I see things. I don't know what to believe. Most people are more open yeah. than the kind of... Yeah. Most people do not care. <laughs> they just sort of do what their their spouse or friends or vote for, you know, kind of what, they, what they're voting for or maybe what they read in the local newspaper. Or they're just completely uninformed. Yeah, and, and Gustav's the kind of person who can communicate those ideas, sway some people, push things in the right direction. He, you know, he can collaborate with just about everybody. Yeah, his uh, his opponent is someone I've seen uh, multiple times at the council who usually complains about the website. He usually complains about the city website, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, he like also says like just like talks about how the council isn't fair to homeowners, and just like explicitly just says homeowners are the only people of a stake in the city. That's it's 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 it's, it's pretty upsetting. Uh, Interesting take, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Henry Alexander the Third is yeah. a, a strange candidate. So he's a renter himself. Is that true? He is. Wow. But he, I I I I don't know how he formed his beliefs. Uh, it 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 really doesn't hmm. make sense to me. Okay, let's. That's that is that's that's. I'm my mind is blown. Maybe he's an actor. Maybe this is a part. Yeah, it's a bit. I I, I was, wow. Okay, so next up is a seat uh, seat three in Sunnyvale, and this is a dual endorsement for you. We we made the unusual choice of endorsing both candidates there. Uh, you can only vote for one of them. It it, it was a difficult choice for us because we we really like both these people. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's unfortunate that they did not spread themselves wild, you know, wider in some extent. But it is an interesting uh, take of two different candidates who have two different, I guess, flavors of I think good faith, productive ways of how things could, you know, move ahead. I may not agree with either of them 100 percent a lot of things, but I can, I have to respect that they they offer. Uh, solution space. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, yeah, maybe compare the two uh, candidates. We have uh, Mason Fong and John Cordes. Yeah. So, Mason Fong is young, but he is extraordinarily experienced. He he has worked for two members of Congress. He has worked for a city council member in San Jose. This is uh, Rokana and Maikonda? That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, that's that's some, uh, it's, yeah, those, I mean, those are big names in the area of uh, Bay Area politics. That's, you know, pretty... It uh, makes you realize that a lot of people working local things also rub shoulders with people doing stuff at the federal level. Yeah, and Mason has been involved in VTA governance. He really understands transit. Uh, he he re- really understands how transit and housing need to go together. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you would say compared to John Cordes, he seems to be much more of a, you know, you know, let the market urbanist solutions just work. Let's just... Uh, 
And I mean, I think John John Cordes, uh, if you had to compare the two, he perhaps has more of a environmental side. He says, let's be, you know, let's look at solutions of rolling back office space because we don't know if we'll keep up with this growth. And to a certain extent, I, you know, I think that's, it, I can't say it's it's wrong to say that we are not keeping up with office space. I think it's a bit of a surrender to say let's stop growing uh, until we figure this out. But you know, it's it's pragmatic to some extent. Yeah, yeah I, I I think you've correctly summarized the difference between them right there. Uh, John Cordes is a really dedicated environmentalist, has been for a long time. He he's talked a lot about improving the bike network, improving transit, and yeah, he he cares deeply about improving the jobs to housing ratio, he is a little aggressive about wanting to get there by capping the jobs. Yeah, he runs the Bicycle Commission, uh, as it is for the city right now. But yeah, I mean, Sunnyvale compared to, you can look at the different numbers of jobs to housing. Sunnyvale is not that far from one, which is about where you want to be. Just to, to well, slag that's it. That's quite good, yeah. yeah. Palo Alto is more like three. <laughs> <laughs> and they're looking at their solution space. They're not even in the best of situations getting yeah. towards one. Like, even if you're pro-growth, you're, you're, you're still kind of forced to make your platform Let's build. Let's not build office until we build some more housing. If you're anti-growth, you say let's build absolutely nothing because that'll somehow improve the ratio. But even if you're pro-growth, you have to say, well, okay, I can't be pro-office in Palo Alto because it's just even among people who don't care about growing responsibly, they just don't want to grow at all. It's become the 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 buzzword to attack the the jobs to housing ratio as a. And of course, I think there's. It's worth saying that even if every place was saying let's cut you know our our jobs i mean most cities are they really are they capable of even doing it because they depend upon it for their yeah. bread and butter i mean i think it's it can be satisfying to say i found the solution let's turn off the jobs faucet but uh, it's you know it is because of the way we've severed the residential funding their own <laughs> their yeah. own spending mm-hmm. it's yeah. residents are implicitly dependent on it yes it's, yeah <laughs> it's, yeah it's, Palo Alto's budget is not in awesome shape either way so I don't think that that I don't think cutting office is ever going to happen which is incredible this is consider how rich this area is just yes. consider you cannot be more blessed. Yes. In an economic sense, than to have this economy and a place like Palo Alto is just barely making is barely scraping along because they're they're they have to pay their their public employees benefits and a living wage and it's it's really it's really tenuous and that living wage is a living wage to live in Palo Alto yes exactly <laughs> yeah exactly yeah uh, the last uh, no endorsement but I think it's worth maybe saying a few things about because it's an interesting race uh, this is uh, the uh, the incumbent mayor Glenn Hendricks and then uh, Josh Grossman yeah. Uh, we we did not officially endorse on this, but I I will say a few things about Glenn Hendricks. He has been a pretty effective leader. He um, he he believes in good governance and ha- has been. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> He has said uh, he does not believe there's a housing crisis because a crisis means you can do anything. He is he is a so a shipwreck is not a crisis. <laughs> he is a lowercase C conservative. He believes things should be done slowly and carefully. I I I mean I fundamentally think that it's a bit. You know, it may not be the right way to address this, but I respect it as an ideology. He is at least consistent in it, as opposed to I think people who don't even see through what their what their beliefs are. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it's he is a, he is a careful, pragmatic guy, but he is you know he believes in moving slowly and safely in a place that you know right now do we have the luxury of that? Yeah, so he he is probably the least pro-housing person of the broadly responsible set of people on on, on the council, but yeah. I, I think he, he is generally a responsible guy. I was, a few weeks ago, uh, the League of California Cities uh, was looking at making, like, endorsing an amendment to have a uh, California amendment for local control being preserved for zoning, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and the council you know, turned against it, you know, uh, I mean, except for Michael Goldman. But, you know, I think Glenn Hendricks is far as someone who really tends to be, you'd say like, oh, of course, someone like that. He is willing to call out people acting in bad faith and more importantly, not having, I think, solutions. 
I think when people like that, like the League of California Cities, is promoting something which doesn't have any sort of willingness to explore solutions and only wants to ingrain what's here, you know, he is willing to say this is not working. Yeah. yeah. For for a guy who does not adopt all of my policy preferences, he's he's generally an okay guy. Yeah, so uh, his opponent, uh, Josh Grossman, I can just read down the list of issues that matter to him off his website. Uh, start, starting with what I believe is uh, he's the most vocal about, which is, uh, I've, I've paid attention to this in the past, and I think it's important, protection of Sunnyvale's mobile home parks. I think that's an important issue in Sunnyvale, and a lot of people in uh, the Sunnyvale City Council are looking to look at how they're protecting their mobile home park residents, which are kind of considered a class above just your normal renters, but I think it's a start to say that even though you're landless, they deserve protections. But everything else on here, uh, airplane noise, school overcrowding. Check, check. Uh, traffic and hypergrowth. Oh, yeah. Uh, protect our parks and golf courses. Mm, Josh Grossman tried to NIMBY 5G cell phone service, just to give you an example of the kind of guy he is. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's I mean, this, is, this is a Palo Alto-level uh, <laughs> politics right here. I just... The word hypergrowth, from what I'm seeing around now, it's... It's such a lame scare word. Like, yeah. come on, this is not hypergrowth. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Uh, so, that is that is the uh, three seats in Sunnyvale. Uh, we, we can go into more places. Let's talk about the two cities I think we all know the least about, starting with uh, Santa Clara City. None of us... I've I've never been to city council there. Have anyone been to city council in Santa Clara? I I've been. Well, what's describe Santa Clara City because it's it's new to me. They are um, not very interested in building anything. <laughs> they're, they're, the, they're, the entire city is basically an industrial park and Great America, right? They they bulldozed their downtown in the fifties, I think. It's a weird place because it's Sunnyvale is a, is a biggish city, you know, to the left. And then San Jose started annexing everything and becoming this big San Jose city. And Santa Clara is basically what held out and said, we're not going to be part of San Jose. And I don't really know what you describe. It doesn't have a downtown anymore. What, what is it? It's, like, it's it's just kind of there. Yeah. It's just, yeah, weird. It's like, yeah, it, it's, I only ever went to like a place in Santa Clara that had homes in business, that had homes in like consumer businesses, like bars only once, the tiny, this tiny little chunk. Mostly I go there to, yeah, to go to any kind of warehouse or industrial supplier or big box store or something like that. That's mostly what Santa Clara is composed of. It's a. It, 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 I, if I describe the flavor of Santa Clara, it's mostly strip malls. Yeah. And I'd say it's, you know, to its strength, it has a lot of good strip mall restaurants. Yeah. And lots know? of big old, you know, hardware companies, Silicon, like old Silicon Valley type, like. Car lots, you know. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's always the uh, a nice productive thing to put. Oh, lots of car lots, yes. Yeah, so Santa Clara, no endorsements there. Really, not a whole lot to say about Santa Clara. Right, <laughs> Cupertino, no endorsements there. No, no endorsements. I can say that if I lived there, there are three candidates I would vote for, and those are Oren, Savita, and Hung. Uh, that's that's Oren Mahoney, Hung Wei, and I'm sorry, Savita, I can't pronounce your last name. Uh, and could you say, like, you know, what is what is on the table, Cupertino? Because, I mean, it's been, you know, this Valco thing has been going on and on. Do we expect the next council to be making big decisions on the Valco? Um, so, v- Valco um, is is being built. They they have begun knocking down the mall. I, I'm sad I'd take right. one less stroll to the dead mall there. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I mean, d- stupid question. They haven't... Have they decided SB 35 path or the local path? So there may end up being a lawsuit there. That's always nice. <laughs> Describe the lawsuit in short. Um, I, I believe some people affiliated with Better Cupertino are planning to sue to block the specific plan. Huh. Which oh, is that's th- right. Because it's like they're not, because you can't sue the city. For an SB thirty five project, so they're suing the city for the plan. That was one that big. The way I well, was one big thing for saying why SB thirty five may be better is because you know you're more immune to lawsuits. Mm. Okay. So, um, and between the two, I mean, they try to make them so there are two good options. That's what the local fights have been for Cupertino recently, and one is going to have. Uh, you know, bigger but less of a percentage of affordable housing. One will have, you know, 
more uh, spending for public. I mean, it's, there's there's different trade-offs, but ideally, they're both going to produce you know a fair amount of, of housing as opposed to the original plan for Valco, which is which is a big zero. Yeah, which is, yeah. <laughs> there there was some last-minute wrangling there on all those parameters, but but the bottom line is something is going to get built either way. Which is so fantastic to have SB thirty five in the table because now you can, it's a choice between two good projects rather than kind of being funneled into one mediocre project. It was amazing how the dynamic at council changed once that SB thirty five proposal was on the table. Absolutely, like our, our our option is no longer to do, to do nothing. I love yeah, this. Goodness. These people are waving this flyer there when I was at the city council, <laughs> and it was, uh, this is the, my favorite thing. Whatever happened to this Valco plan? And it was a Valco plan with no housing, and they were just upset that this Valco plan disappeared. And it's like, it's wow, this is SB thirty five working, <laughs> just to just wipe away this awful you know plan. That's uh, really really something to see. Uh, so, uh, and even still, the plan doesn't the plan include like a bunch of expensive, basically kickbacks to the city. Like Sandhill's going to build some public buildings that's and stuff. What the, that's what they're trying to do to entice the, yeah. the 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 new local plan, which is going to be you know I think some some tens like, of millions like, of dollars. It's like a tiny little like uh, symphony place, you know, orchestra. I don't, I don't know. Hall or but, something. But then yeah. also they'd be looking at uh, I, I think some programs like they'd be funding uh, handicapped uh, programs and housing for people who who need special care. So it's I mean I think that they're looking to say, hey, you know, there's a lot of things that would be attractive to pick, you know, door door B for. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, this lawsuit, I'd be curious to hear more. I mean, I think, uh, yeah, uh, certainly certainly, there will always be Valco news for the immediate future to, to, to deal on, so we'll probably hear more about that coming up. Uh, San Jose. San Jose, no endorsements. We, we just didn't have the resources to go very deep there this year. I, I imagine we'll do more there in 2020. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like uh, there are a, f- a few seats with with big choices that endorsements weren't made, but it's worth uh, it's worth saying that some candidates, in the same way that uh, you know, Glenn Hendricks may be less bad in the eyes of of your endorsement panel. Uh, uh, seat seven or District Seven in San Jose, uh, Tam Newen is. Uh, He's currently being criticized for for sending out flyers uh, saying people endorsed him, uh, Sacred Heart, where they didn't. Uh, he is he is incredibly despised by renters. Uh, he has fought against every affordable housing project that's out there. Uh, he has been very vocal about allowing extra uh, possibility to evict people. If like one person in your place is evicted. Uh, he says everyone should be able to be evicted without just cause. Um, yeah, it's it sounds like it's there's a l- I I I've only recently heard about this guy, but there's a lot of bad ink against this Tam doing guy. So it's worth underlining. Um, any any other thoughts about uh, San Jose candidates? No, I really don't know much about it. Yeah, I don't really know. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I'll, I think I'll look at that. Uh, <laughs> Measure V. Measure V in San Jose is going to be one thing you did endorse, which is an affordable housing bond. Uh, yes, and in fact, we are going to phone bank for that. Uh, and any any details about the affordable housing bond? You know how it work, or is it just one of those good housing bonds that it's, are? It's just money for affordable housing. We we love that. We want to get it done. So that is that is the series we are highlighting today. Now let's go up one level. Let's talk about the county, uh, San Santa Clara County. In a lot of ways, they represent the adults in the room. Uh, I mean, they recently have been sending out uh, this uh, this this uh, document assessing the efficacy of of local control and the different ways that housing has been produced within the different cities and how they're coordinating, uh, which seem like they have a good finger on what's going on. Um, but uh, yeah, so you've made a couple endorsements uh, at, at South Bay EMB for Santa Clara County Commissioners. Yeah, we we like Susan Ellenberg and we like Don Rocha, and they, so they are again there for the same seat. Ah, uh, yeah. So it's a uh, in in the eyes of this, it's a it's a dual endorsement. Any any anything particular interesting about what they both represent? Or 
I, I don't know a whole lot about the commissioners. <laughs> I just know that I tend to hear reasonable things coming from the county level on down. And as far as you know, Stanford is dealing with the commissioners directly. It sounds like there's a lot of interesting things happening at the you know at the the county county board. Yeah, they're they're keeping things on track. The the county only has land use authority in a few places, but they're generally doing good things. Cool. So uh, that is everything on there. Let's go up a little bit and talk about the state level. Uh, All right. Statewide props. Let's just go down the list. Uh, CA Proposition 1. Yeah, that's uh, that's affordable housing. We like that. So I, I've heard... I've, this has been almost entirely you know, positive on saying that this is something the legislature has supported, so it's not like it's just a pure initiative. Legislature puts it on, people vote for it. Uh, the one thing that there has been, I, I think, some blowback by some saying a lot of these are home ownership programs. In, and Yeah, home loan assistance kind of. And, I mean, it's very, I mean, I just feel it's worth addressing for people to kind of make up their own mind uh, in a lot of ways. I feel affordable housing bonds, you know, obviously are are needed, but it is worth saying that I think that it's disappointing that when we're looking at affordable housing bonds, we're looking at building, you know, private equity programs for people to get home loans to to buy their own houses, which I think is in a lot of ways it's tough not to see as part of the cycle of what drives more unaffordable housing. Well, and so much of these expensive bonds is going just going to be plowed into buying expensive land yeah. for normal homes, which is good that people will have a place to live and it can be subsidized, but it doesn't seem. It seems like it should be going towards construction of multifamily units that'll be subsidized. Well, th- this is the thing about subsidizing affordable housing. To, to the extent that we just have more dollars chasing the same number of homes, it's not great. Yeah, it, it's uh-huh. it's redistribution to the people who need it most, and that's we we need that safety net. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, it's in a lot of ways. Do we throw more credit, or do we actually? You know, throw more production and you know actual resources towards people. I, I think that if you look at what we have right now, it it's it's a it's an affordable housing bond using a lot of current tools. It's interesting to see how something like this may be different in a few years if people maybe start looking at let's not just allow home loans as a way to build middle class and lower wealth because I I think that's. That's that's a system that is that doesn't have the greatest track record of actually producing affordable housing in a lot of ways. Yeah, in this, the cities. Yeah, this this isn't directly addressing the fact that we just don't we just plain don't have enough homes. If if you're looking at building houses in the Central Valley, I'd say actually that remains I think a pretty reasonable way to say this because you get a home loan, you can buy a bunch of lumber, build a house. I yeah, think. and I. And I um... I should have noted the breakdown, I think, for Prop 1, but it's not all home loan subsidy. There is, I believe, a big chunk of it is subs- is uh, farm worker housing, and there, it breaks down to other things. It's not just home loan assistance. Oh, no, but, it's absolutely not all. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of it which is not. Which yeah, is which why, is excellent. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I think even if you disapprove of some part of the, the problems, it you know, even someone who points that out would say there's still a lot of objectively good parts of it from the idea of, of producing affordable housing. And I do kind of have to zoom out from the Bay Area, because this will be for the whole state, and your money can go a lot farther if you're not buying expensive land in the Bay Area. So. Yeah, and I felt to address that, but just to underline your original point, that was, a, that was an endorsement from South Bay Yimby. Yes, we, mm. we have endorsed Props 1 and 2. We, we like them for equity reasons. Uh, any more details on uh, CA Prop Two? Uh, that, that's for the homeless. That, that's a homeless assist- assistance bond. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Prop One, Prop Two is an endorsement from from you folks. Uh, let's move on. A few things uh, goes to Prop Five. Prop Five. Prop Five. I'd like to see more polling on this. Uh, I, I, I forget if it's failing or passing, but in any case. It's it's uh it would make Howard Jarvis smile from the grave. It's it's good stuff from his profile. It's oh, yeah. expanding prop prop thirteen uh prop thirteen support. It's it's yeah, so that, like it's so that the the elderly can move house and take their prop thirteen taxes with them anywhere. Is in the it fifty five or older? I don't know the age cap. It's yeah. it's fifty five or older, or if you have certain disabilities, I think, or if you've been affected by a natural disaster. Yeah. So in in general, it makes Prop thirteen more portable. Uh, yeah. Which, in a lot of ways, I would say, it's 
kind of objectively an evil <laughs> an evil action in a lot of ways i'm not sure it's really going to have bad consequences because adding mobility to prop 13 may actually cause more units to change hands yeah. in ways that could create good benefits but boy is the only way we're solving things by allowing the haves to just to cash out yeah, exactly I, yeah i mean the, the counter argument if there is one here is that a few empty nesters will leave their single-family homes and open them up to somebody else. Yeah, but it, is, that, it is kind of perverse, but I could see this freeing up the the market for homes. I, I don't think it will do very much of that. I oh, not, of, in a, not in a big way. Because sure, where are they going to go? It's not like there's like this massive oh, exactly. bank of like, oh, that's a promised land. If we only can leave, let's, yeah, let's yeah. go to this. Yeah. Well, so some of this is possible under current law with 1031 exchanges, but if Prop 5 passed, it would get rid of some of the restrictions, it would mean you can move anywhere in California, not just within certain counties. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it is worth asking, is Prop 13 with mobility better or worse than Prop 13 without mobility? I mean, I'd say it's kind of a weird way of just you know, assuming that we are going to have Prop 13 no matter what, which I think is... Yeah, is that a moral question? <laughs> economic is. question? It is. I mean, I'd, it's. I would say... I certainly can't disagree with everyone who says, looking at it and say, this is insane. Of course not. Because I'd say, yes, it's insane because Prop 13 is insane. <laughs> but it's more of a symptom of a really yeah. weird disease. And the numbers of people who will benefit it from it per year are probably going to be quite low. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it further entrenches Prop 13. And there, there's actually a fair amount of money at stake here. Yeah. Mm. That is um, one one more bit of speculation. Does it entrench Prop 13? Because a lot of ways Prop 13 is that I've lived here for 40 years. You can't you know change the system now. And if they move away to somewhere else, maybe it is easier to say, well, you know, everyone's already moved. There's less of these long-term homeowners left. Maybe it's easier. Probably a lot of people who would move because of this would not have moved without it. Perhaps. So they weren't going to increase their taxes anyway. If, if one I, could argue, if I were, if I were in the the business of making a lot of money, I think I would try to create some massive suburban development with golf carts and people driving around to try to entice everyone to leave the Bay Area. Oh, like the Villages West? Yes, the Villages West. I would. There oh. is a small villages in San Jose, apparently. Oh, no. But like, if you build it, just like by like you know Vacaville or something and just had this weird you right know, by the VA cemetery <laughs> I don't know I mean I would say like I would imagine that would suck away a lot of these old-time homeowners it's like I hate this traffic give me a place where I can drive around in golf carts but uh, I, I don't know I mean I I tend make to... a special economic zone to provide a uh a Floridian experience for people who don't want to leave California I I mean it's 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 Interesting to say, like how hard it is for things to change. What is the path of least resistance? And I think, path, you know, do do win more with vinegar or honey? And I think if you give people the honey of some weird suburban, you know, utopia, maybe that's the way to change things. Maybe, and it, it's tough to estimate how many people would take advantage of this. But yeah. we, we we said no to it because there's quite a bit of revenue at stake, and we we think it it expands the inequities of Prop 13. Uh, it's worth underlining it is uh, it is it was created by the Realtor Association because they want to see oh, houses yeah. change hands. Of course, it, and it actually makes it possible for you to move into a more expensive house. Yeah, yeah, and it can do weird things. Like if someone has been living out in a rural area, um, and then they move to the city and perhaps buy a house from someone who is paying more property taxes. You just by moving around, they can drop revenue in a particular city. Like just by moving, they can sap revenue from from a city they might move into, which is a very strange effect. It's yeah, it's it's very odd. I mean, I never really considered that. I mean, it's because now it's not just the state, but they, they like a certain cities could lose out from this over it, others. It's it does. Very strange. It does make the standard prop you know property tax cycle of paying for infrastructure even weirder. Yeah. And so I think that's one big mark against it. You yeah. know that you are creating even more strangeness. Uh, which is rarely going to be something you say that was a good decision in the end. Yeah. Uh, uh, prop six. That's that's a hard oppose from you guys. Prop six would really hurt transit. Prop, Absolutely. Yeah. Prop six uh, is you know it it is 
in the manner of Howard Jarvis, a big tax revolt against the gas tax. In a lot of ways, not even changing the gas tax, but just would sever the connection between the gas tax and paying for infrastructure. Is any more details on this? I'm trying to remember what the... It, it would repeal the gas tax. Yeah, the way I've heard it, it's a straight repeal of the most recent gas tax that was passed. Okay. The only change in the gas tax in our, probably our, our you know, waking lifetimes. Yeah. And in general, gas taxes, extremely good. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very good to make sure that the cost of one, polluting the, the environment yeah, with your gasoline should be assessed and actually dissuaded through Pigovian taxes. And wear and tear on the roads as well. And absolutely wear. I mean, this doesn't capture EVs, but that's a kind of a different game. That is true. It, although, well, through re- part of the gas tax program, I think, was increased registration fees on cars. Hmm. And EVs are still, uh, that still um, holds true for EVs. They still have to pay that increased fee. Um and but although, where... although gas taxes in the Bay Area we live in, the poor probably do use more gas than the rich, and therefore the gas tax is probably regressive, like bridge tolls. So this, so, uh-huh. this is this, I, 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 there's a show I did I think like a year ago. Are congestion taxes regressive? And I oh, think, I listened to that one. That's yeah, right. I think in no uncertain way this is a pet peeve of the use of the word regressive, which is a regressive tax tends to. You know, I think in any reasonable way, talking about if you're trying to raise revenue, you should try to raise revenue by actually taxing it in a progressive way, saying people who benefit the most from services should pay for for more That's of true. the revenue, and people who could, you know who who actually benefit the least should you know uh, should do less of it. If yeah. you if you have something which is not a revenue producer at heart, but is actually yeah. a usage fee. I would say saying it's regressive is kind of crazy. Saying, you know, this is this is reflecting the fact that pollution should be taxed. It is That's not true. And I would say that does it reflect the fact that people who are poor have less equity in our cities? Absolutely, it reveals something which is incredibly troubling, which is the fact who benefits from the economy. From the ability to live close to work, mm. it is people who are landowners, people yeah, who, or people who don't have to drive to do their work. Exactly, or people, people who, who can are, ride a bus, which is more or less. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it's more or less people who <laughs> because, are locked in and living here. It's not proper economically, but I use the word aggressive to mean bad for the poor. <laughs> yes, and I, I think in a lot of ways it reveals the fact that society is bad for the poor, and I think it reflects <laughs> the fact we need to, you know, yes, really, you know. It reflects the fact that you know we need to look at different ways that we make sure that. Taxing pollution shouldn't be a tax on the poor, hmm. but it's the fact that the only way the you know people who are less well off can even be, have skin in the game is commuting hours and hours of the day to get in, which is part of a, a really crazy system when you think about it. The, the gas tax is Bogovian, and also I think we need to hammer the point that car culture is itself a poverty trap. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. I was I was very I was very happy to see uh, that. Uh, there was yeah the the, uh, the bridge tolls within the Bay Area that passed uh, within the uh, the primary election cycle earlier this year. Add, adding mm-hmm, that, yeah. and in a lot of ways, you could say the same things. It's cheaper to live in in the East Bay and commute to the to the West Bay, and this is going to hurt people who do that. But the real answer is, we shouldn't be encouraging that kind of commute heavy car centric behavior. In a lot of ways, should we be creating more hubs to allow people to commute? You know, effectively, I'd say I, I think that's you know it's certainly better than allowing these commutes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is this is just more evidence for the Yimby case. But people who people do these commutes, they do it because they have no choice, which is which is what's which is what is cruel about the. It's not just the gas. The higher gas taxes are good. Higher bridge tolls are good, but it's cruel in this situation because the poor have no choice. Yes, and I think I think the thing that really disgusts me about when people say like we must you know. We must support Prop 6 because going against it is regressive. Is the fact they really, I mean, people who say this have no real uh, agenda for changing things to add more equity to people who are currently left behind in yeah. the economy. They say, like, they really just want to have some sort of cover for the fact that they, re- you know, they want this gas tax to be repealed just as a general yeah. pro car culture and anti uh, anti yeah, taxes. Yeah. yeah. I, got a, I got a unique take from my, uh, my friend yesterday. 
he told me he voted against it just because he has such a profound hatred of uh, bicyclists and bike lanes, and he wouldn't vote for anything that puts money towards bike lanes. By, by voting against it, you mean he was pro-Prop 6? He was pro-Prop 6. Oh, gross. Just because he has such a, a deep grudge against bicyclists on his commute. I mean, that's, that, that is the, the American right in a nutshell. It's all grievance culture. <laughs> yeah. Uh, People but, just don't imagine that they can get around any other way than their car. No, it's true. Uh, yeah, if, if this passes, Caltrain electrification is going to be set back quite a bit. Caltrain has been putting out some awesome stuff about what they could do if they were actually adequately funded. Yes. It's, it's amazing. I love it when... It, it makes me so happy deep in my in my policy heart when transit agencies will will put out you know cute propaganda like that like when Bart and when, when Bart tweets about pretty frankly about you know why the things down what they can and can't do what's going wrong what's going right I really enjoy that yeah I mean I, I just I think it's it's something really I think we need to overcome the fact that gas taxes are just in our lizard brains or whatever, it is the one thing that makes people just irrationally upset. You know, all sorts of other taxes, people, you know, let's let's increase the sales tax a bit. A sales tax is, I think, a legitimately regressive tax that we just, you know, allow to be the major funding of our municipal governments. And that's, oh yeah, you know, this is fine. But well, you know, because of Prop 13, y- yeah, you have to rely on them. But. Yeah, it's, it's the only choice you have left in a yeah. lot of these places. But in, you know, as far as the tax, when people see their, their t- gases going up and down, the news comments on it, this is weird psychological trap we fall into where it's somehow, it's the one thing we hate the most, even when in a lot of ways we shouldn't. <laughs> but it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's disappointing. But in a lot of ways, the people who are pro uh, defeating Prop 6 are depending upon the Bay Area to knock this down in overwhelming numbers. Because I think if you look at Central Valley and a lot of places which are more red areas of the state, they are going to be much more pro Prop 6. And I think the Bay Area is, uh, it, it, it needs huge support for this to have any chance. How does yeah. LA feel about it? How's LA polling? Uh, I think not as strongly as the Bay Area, hmm. but certainly not like the red areas of the state. Hmm. That's that's what I'm saying. I, I mean, I, I LA is a, LA is and is getting better at better at transit. Hmm. Certainly than than <laughs> I'd say they're improving in a way that that the Bay Area is showing them not not a lot of uh, dynas, dy, not being as dynamic about. Uh, so Prop 10, no endorsement from you hmm. uh, guys on that. There's I I, I think. In any case, I think it's it's worth that people should have a deep, deep, deep understanding of this. I think that there's a you know a lot of different interesting things to say, but I think most people just learn as much as you can about it. And there's a recent episode with Jonathan Randolph uh, talking about some details. I recommend his article and you know arguably that episode. Uh, but it's not simple. <laughs> That's all I'll say. Uh, and. Yeah, so that and that 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 basically does it for everything that you've endorsed here. Uh, any any you know overall ideas of you know kind of what you've seen in Santa Clara County as far as you know kind of uh, change as far as you know what it has been doing to allow more housing in the last couple of years and what kind of you know, what you see in the next uh, next coming years. The the politics are shifting. There are a lot of people showing up saying we actually want places to live. Yeah. It's it's hmm. yeah. You talked about the Overton window earlier. Yeah, you would the amount of people actually saying, I in the abstract, <laughs> am supporting the idea of more housing in the abstract. That's something that just wasn't only a weirdo would have done this in the past because it's very hard to say in the abstract and not this one building in front of me in the abstract we need to actually change systemic <laughs> uh, you know the, the the variables here and actually create more housing and it's it's really exciting to see that change there was a time just a few years ago whenever you showed up at the city council meeting it would just be full of people saying no and now pick a random council meeting pick a random project you will often see quite a few people saying yes so, uh, so personally speaking, what what got you into you know, the housing scene here? Uh, I I I'm a software engineer. I moved here because of all, all the opportunities of Silicon Valley, and it just seems so obvious to me that we were squandering opportunities. That this this, this is such a, a great place, and it's perverse that we hate our success and we think it's a bad thing that people actually want to live here. Yeah, I mean it's. For everybody who says it's like the problem is the strong economy, it's just it's such it's such a privileged position to say that 
so many places you know, lack this economy and they struggle, and we could do so much to use the strong economy to house people, to pay for services, to do all sorts of exciting things. And yeah, it's yeah, we we, we shouldn't be displacing people. We shouldn't be denying people the opportunity to come here in the first place. And if if more people could be here and be part of what this is, it would be better for all of us. Very cool. So, uh, yeah, uh, I think that that basically does it for us. Uh, Any other final thoughts for what you're seeing for the elections this this time around? Um, I'm (laughs) kind of I'm never sure how optimistic to be to be about these things. It's um, there's a lot there's a lot at stake. This is like we said, this is every every city in Santa Clara County. This is this is kind of what the next four years, this will completely shape how the next four years will pan out. Yeah. And especially the impact from these propositions. There's, there's a lot at stake. I'm optimistic, but I, I'm just keeping my head down until, uh, until election day is over. I, I, I personally, I see a lot of optimism. I do tend to see there are systemic things that are just necessarily going to hold us back. But hey, you know, there's also a lot of exciting things happening in the next you know cycle at Sacramento, and that's that's a whole different mm-hmm. ball game. And it's worth seeing how these two things can you know can really uh, prop each other up. It's it's exciting stuff. So so yeah, Max, thanks for coming back. Yeah, it was great to be here. Thanks for having me on. And Jason, uh, thanks a ton for for being on here. And if people want to find more information about these endorsements and any information about South Bay Yimby, uh, where where should they uh, check out? SouthBayYimby.org. Wow, wow, wow. Okay, thanks for being here. Very cool. All right. The Henry George Program, that was a talk about the elections in Santa Clara County. You can find previous episodes and more at the website seethecat.org. Thank you.